Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter 25. One of the few times that we will cover a whole chapter in one sermon. Now, when Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem, while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove, while he answered for himself, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Then Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about one Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. 
I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask that in the foolishness and the ravings of the politicians, you would help us to see your truth, your faithfulness, your resurrection power in your Son. Father, we thank you that you work in all kinds of circumstances for the good of your church and to enable testimony even before kings and governors to the risen, ascended Christ. Lord, free us from distraction. Help us to pay careful attention to your word and to live in light of what we hear. Don't let us be like Festus and have this exaggerated sense of self-importance and a willingness to grab others and use them as human shields. Help us, Father, to be like Paul, to be humble and ready to take the punishment we are due, but also to defend our innocence when need requires. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, we see that the priorities of God and of the biblical writers are different than our own priorities. We would have appreciated a 27-verse chapter of Acts on how to set up the church or the proper mode of baptism or various other theological questions that continue to agitate the church down to this day. Instead, Luke gives us an entire chapter which is mainly taken up with self-important speeches from Festus, a small-time Roman official. Why does Luke subject us to the speeches of Festus? The answer is, has to be, that this too is where Christ reigns. Christ is not above so dirty an instrument as politics. In fact, he uses politics regularly to bring about what he wants to see. There's complicated circumstances that Luke gives us in detail that end up with Paul testifying in front of a governor and a king simultaneously. The point, Jesus reigns over the tiniest details and over the silliest, most foolish circumstances. We start by looking at the politics. Well, Felix left at the end of the previous chapter. Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. We read in chapter 24, verse 27. Felix left hated by his constituents. The inhabitants of Syria, Palestine, had been troubled by something that's troubling current politicians, namely a rise in crime. Politicians who are soft on crime don't fare well when constituents decide that they've had enough of being harmed by criminals. And that was happening in the province of Syria, Palestine in this era, right around A.D. 50. So Felix was hated by the locals for his inability to put down the desert robbers. 
Felix tries to leave a slightly less bad taste in the mouth of his constituents and does them a favor on his way out the door. He leaves Paul in the slammer. So Felix is a politician. He can read the wind. There's not a lot he can do to make his, himself look a little better as he's leaving, but one thing that he can do is to give Paul as a favor and leave him for the next governor. Well, this theme of a favor comes up again and again. Verse 3 of chapter 25, the Jews ask for a favor. Now, Festus comes into this situation. He's been sent out, presumably from the imperial center, as the new governor of the double province of Syria-Palestine. He understands that Felix was unable to put down the criminals and that that is no doubt part of why Felix has been recalled. So Festus has this mission. Get rid of crime in the province. Festus gets there and he is not there very long. He is only there three days in Caesarea, his capital, and then he goes to the secondary center to Jerusalem to see how things are going there. So just as in the United States, of course, we have Washington, D.C., the nominal capital, but in many ways, the real capital of the United States is New York. And more important things frequently happen in New York than in D.C. Well, that was the same in Syria, Palestine. You could be in Caesarea, that's the capital, but there's Jerusalem and a lot of real business is happening in Jerusalem too. So... Festus gets there. He gets to Caesarea. After three days, he goes to Jerusalem. As soon as he arrives in Jerusalem, the Jews come to him and say, hey, we'd really like you to bring Paul over here. And Festus says, "Uh, excuse me? No. Uh -uh." Uh-uh. Festus says, I am not about to start my tenure as governor by being at the beck and call of people like you. I don't move prisoners on the basis of the prosecutor or their accusers asking favors. So uh, Festus says, you go to my place, right? Those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man. You come to Caesarea. We're not bringing Paul here. Now, Festus is a remarkably quick learner because... What do we see in the next verse? He's in Jerusalem over 10 days. And as soon as he gets back to Caesarea, what's changed? Oh, well, verse 9, Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor. How did Festus go from telling the Jews, request denied in verse 4, to wanting to do the Jews a favor in verse 9? What happened in the meantime? In the meantime, Festus spent 10 or 11 days in Jerusalem. And what did Festus discover during his time in Jerusalem? Festus discovered that if he didn't keep the local elites happy, they would destroy his governorship. That's what Festus discovered. Festus was a politician. And he found out that his political career was over if he couldn't find some way of earning brownie points with his constituents. Festus' sudden change of heart hints perhaps that he's a decent politician. He's a quick learner. And so by the time he's been in Jerusalem for less than two weeks, he understands what this province is all about and he realizes, 
I'm going to go out just like my predecessor did unless I can figure out some way of making these people happy. How do you earn political capital? Well, you do it at the expense of people who cannot harm you. People like Paul, this random prisoner who happens to be sitting in the dungeon in Caesarea. So Festus wants to do the Jews a favor. There's this little trial, this mini trial where the accusers come down. Paul says, uh, no, no, I'm not guilty of anything. These are random accusations. They have nothing to do with anything. And Festus decides, I got to do something. I have to earn some brownie points here. I have to make my constituents happy. And so he says to Paul, can we go do this again in Jerusalem? And Paul has a little mini outburst and says, no, we can't go do this again in Jerusalem. And he almost says, what's wrong with you, Festus? He says, I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you very well know. Right? He openly says to the judge in court, you know that this whole thing is a total farce. You understand that anybody with any integrity would have said not guilty and kicked these accusers out of court 20 minutes ago. But Festus, right? Paul knows that he can't just leave it there because if you just accuse the judge of lacking integrity and then stop, where does the trial go from there? So instead, he accuses the judge of lacking integrity by saying, A, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat. You represent the imperial center. You have to hold up your end of the social contract, right? You're the occupying imperial power, and your legitimacy comes from the fact that you bring development and you bring justice. If you're not bringing justice, you bring nothing. Your legitimacy here is over, Felix, Festus. So Paul says that. Then he says, I'm not guilty. And you very well know that I'm not guilty. But then he gives Festus an out. And he says, I appeal to Caesar. Now, there was no need to appeal to Caesar, except that you can't tell the judge, you have no integrity. This trial is a sham. Because then the judge sort of has to throw you back in the slammer for contempt of court. Instead, then, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. Felix turns to his advisors, the parliamentarian and the lawyers, the, the attorneys, whoever is there in the court and says, can he do that? Does he have to go to Caesar? What is the deal here? And the advisors say, yeah, send him to Caesar. Do it. You can do that. And so then Festus says, you have appealed to Caesar, right? He wasn't a politician for nothing. He was able to make it sound very grandiose. To Caesar you shall go. Paul says, no one can give me as a favor. Right? The word is actually the same as the word used in verse 3 and verse 27 of the previous chapter. I'm not your favor. Don't give me as a favor. I want to move up the chain. I demand to see your supervisor, Festus. So that's the politics. Paul knows that Festus is beholden to local elites, 
and that they can make or break his governorship over time. But he knows that Festus is even more beholden to the imperial center and that Caesar can break his governorship in a heartbeat. And so he appeals to the imperial center. Festus, I'm going to get out of this rat's nest called Jerusalem and I'm going to go to Rome. Well, what does Luke show us next? Uh, A while later, King Agrippa, who is the great-grandson of Herod the Great and a local client king, his territory is sort of within that province of Syria-Palestine. King Agrippa, who is like Herod, he's half Jewish or at least part Jewish, he comes to visit. He comes to welcome Festus. Oh, my new governor. So good to see you here. So it's a little summit, a gab fest for these local elites. They can sit and have a good time together. Now, Luke doesn't say in so many words, but it appears that they stayed on and on and on. Verse 14, when they had been there many days, Agrippa's got nothing better to do than to hang out with Festus. And finally, after so many days, when he's at his wit's end, what am I going to do with these people? Festus says, oh, hey, I just thought of something. We got this prisoner in the dungeon. He's kind of entertaining. You want to see him? And Agrippa, also bored, says, sure, let's see him. So we have politics, and then we have entertainment. Festus gives Agrippa the whole story, a low low down, especially with his noble answer of verse 16, it is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction, and so on. Now, Festus didn't say anything of the sort to the Jews. He didn't show that kind of integrity, but he wants to look good before Agrippa, and he wants to remind Agrippa what side his bread is buttered on. Agrippa, you're a Roman client king. You may have local roots. Rome made you. Rome can break you. And guess who I represent? I represent Rome. So Festus just gives him this whole speech about Roman justice, tells him that, ah, they just had some questions about the Jewish law. No big deal. But Paul wanted to go to Augustus. So Paul is going to Augustus. Nothing about, and I showed my total spinelessness and lack of integrity, etc. Rather, what is Luke saying by recording this long speech from Festus? That Christ reigns even over the self-serving thought processes of politicians who are bored. The reign of Christ is present there, too. So Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Now, this wasn't just about entertainment. You see, Festus came up with an idea as he's talking to Agrippa. Something else occurs to him, and that is that it does look a little silly because as he manages to spin into some kind of grandiose statement in verse 27, seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. There is no charge. Paul is not actually accused of any violation of any known law. There is literally no reason to send this guy to Rome because 
any local official can see that the case needs to be thrown out. So Festus sort of realizes this dimly in the back of his mind. The little light bulb goes off and he says, wait a second, I have no case. I look like a total idiot if I send this guy to Rome and say, he was picked up in a riot two years ago and we've just been holding him, but he didn't actually do anything wrong. We figured you wanted to see him, Caesar. Right? What is Caesar going to say? Do I lack things to do? Can't you make decisions to release people picked up in riots two years ago? Don't you know anything, Festus? So Festus says, wait a second. Whose name can I put on the report? Oh, look at that. I have this local king standing right here. Agrippa, would you like to put your name on the report with me? Oh, I could put right here. King Agrippa examined him and found that he needed to go to Caesar. Ooh, look at that. Wow, now if somebody gets in trouble, it doesn't have to be poor old Festus. It can be King Agrippa, the local expert. This is brilliant. We mentioned the acronym CYA a few minutes ago. This is what Festus is doing. It is so obvious. Festus is all about protecting himself from getting chewed by the imperial center. Don't beat on my rear end, not my fault. Agrippa wanted to do it. And so he drags Agrippa into this and says, yeah, let's have a little hearing before Agrippa. Now, there is no need to have another hearing. There have already been two hearings, the conclusion of both of which has been identical, that there is no case here, that there's nothing to see, that Paul needs to be released. But Festus doesn't really care about that because Festus wants to do the Jews a favor and so he's trying to figure out some way to do the Jews a favor without getting in trouble with his bosses in Rome. And here he thinks he has the perfect opportunity. I can get Paul to say something. Agrippa will help me come up with some good fluff to put in the report and then we can send him off and our problems are over and the Jews like us. This will be great. So, three sordid, gross things. Politics, entertainment, self-protection are at work here. And Luke gives us 27 verses describing the thought processes of the politicians that got Paul to this place. Meanwhile, what does Paul testify? We talked about this briefly, but he says, I've done nothing wrong. This is not any kind of righteous business. This is a pure show trial and it's obvious that this is all political and you're just trying to throw red meat to your constituents. I get it. I see what you're doing here, politician. But Paul can't resist giving the opportunity to throw in a little valid political theology. And he adds, if I am an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I do not object to dying. I believe that if you sin, you should take your punishment. Right? He just volunteers that to Festus. Here's justice. Here's the way the justice system ought to work. If you've committed a capital crime, and they put you in the electric chair, don't fight back. Go ahead and plead guilty. Just admit, yes, I did wrong. Yes, I deserve to die. All right, I am willing to go and die. And then Paul puts forward a second principle 
of the justice system. If there is nothing of these things in which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. If I'm innocent, you cannot hand me over to people who want to kill me. If I'm guilty, I don't mind dying. If I'm innocent, I will fight tooth and nail to maintain my innocence. So Paul says, here are two things that would fix this justice system. A willingness to die on the part of the accused when he's guilty, and a willingness to stand up for himself when he's not. And I'm going to show you what a man with a spine looks like, Festus. I am not guilty. And so I will fight these charges till my last breath. No one can deliver me to them. These two convictions taken together go a long way toward producing a righteous justice system. So Paul demands trial as a Roman citizen. We've already seen Luke describe that citizenship, how it's protected him from injustice already. Now it does so again. He gets to go to Rome on Caesar's dime instead of having to be executed by angry Jews in Jerusalem. So the final thing Paul testified actually comes in Festus's report in verse 19 about one Jesus who died whom Paul affirmed to be alive. Festus couldn't make head or tail of it, but he could understand that. The key issue is this dead guy, and Paul keeps saying he's alive. That is the issue. Since Jesus lives, justice matters. Since Jesus lives, Paul is ready and able to testify before governors and kings. Paul says, my Jesus is alive, so I will preach him to you when I have this opportunity. So what do we take from this story? Well, I've already mentioned it. Jesus rules over politics. He rules entertainment. He rules self-protection. These things that motivate bureaucrats and bored human beings the world over are things that Jesus can work with and does work with and even work through for his own glory. Jesus reigns over these things because he was dead and is alive. Festus got that from Paul's words. Paul knew it because he had seen the risen Christ. Jesus controls the most minute foolish circumstances because Jesus is alive. So in terms of Luke's overall point, the certainty of the kingdom, we see here that Jesus' reign is certain, the kingdom is certain, because he gave Paul an opportunity to testify. Through the strangest circumstances, he got Paul called as a witness before a governor and before a king to testify to the reality that Jesus lives and that the kingdom is real. So what is Luke telling us? Don't be bothered by the politicians. If they persecute you, if they call you forward, as Jesus said in Luke 21, don't premeditate what to say. The Spirit will help you in that moment. If you're called on to testify before governors and kings, you will be ready. Now you should learn your faith, you should know, and especially you should be ready to testify to what you personally have experienced. But the good news is that even in the most harebrained and foolish schemes of governors and kings and politicians, Jesus is Lord.
So live like his kingdom is real. It is. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would write this truth on our hearts, that the Lord God omnipotent reigns, that Jesus is king, and that he is coming back to seal his kingdom, to consummate it. Father, help us to testify boldly that Jesus is alive, to live in light of his resurrection. Father, we praise you for the testimony of Paul and the testimony of Luke. We ask that you would help us to testify the same thing, that Jesus lives. We pray it in his name. Amen.